You are listening to a broadcast of Dublin First Baptist Church, Pastor Cameron McGill in Dublin, North Carolina. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist Church and the Lake Church to hear from God's Word. I encourage you to take your copy of God's Word. Turn with me to Romans in the 8th chapter. Romans chapter number 8. Looking at a familiar passage of Scripture from a perspective that maybe you've never thought about today. Romans chapter 8, and we're looking beginning in verse number 18 and then down through verse number 28. So many times our scripture has bookends that we are familiar with and then some, uh, some meat or some text in between them. So we'll look at that this morning as we continue to look at our series, The Anchor of Our Soul. We're going to finish this up next Sunday morning on Homecoming Sunday. This morning looking at the invisible hand of Almighty God. Isn't it amazing that God could work around us and within us and through us and yet in many times we don't even know what He's doing. This morning we look beginning in verse number 18. Paul, being from the south, said, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not even worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. There's suffering and glory in this verse. Now, we love the idea of glory, but the idea of suffering is not too palatable. We don't really like the thought of that. But the Bible says there'll be no glory without suffering. Certainly a picture of the cross but also in our lives. I want to take you this morning to a village in Moldova. It's a small village with a thriving church, but it's not always been that way. In World War I, there was a gentleman from the village, a young man who was arrested and thrown into a German prison. Now, was God in that? One would think not. But while in that German prison, this young man would hear the gospel, would respond to the gospel invitation, and would be saved. A time would pass, the gentleman would be released from prison, would go back to Moldova, where he had been brought up, back to his village, a new person, now a a saved person, and in his home would birth a church. Now, two generations later, four generations depending on how you do your math, that church is thriving, doing well. In fact, they're getting ready to have baptism in the next few weeks and baptizing people from young people to older folks. So looking back, the time that that man spent in that German prison was all part of the divine plan of Almighty God. I want to show you a picture. You see, of course, me and Tiff, but the gentleman beside of me is the pastor of this church now that was birthed all these years back. And beside him, his wife, who is the granddaughter of this man who was a German prisoner saved in church planner. Pretty amazing. We visited and we heard the story and it moved my heart and we began to go out to get back in the van to make our way to the next church that we would visit and I had an idea. You know, I have these ideas sometimes. 
And sometimes my ideas put people kind of on the spot. So I said, ooh, 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 everybody back in the church. And I decided that we would have us a little sing-along. Now, the quality of the sing-along is not the greatest in the world, but I want you to hear and be reminded that we serve a great God, not only in English, but in Romanian and also in Russian. May God be glorified.
Amen. Isn't that good? Our Moldovan pastor can sing, your American pastor cannot. Father, I pray that you would help us to be reminded this morning that even in the midst of a German prison, you were at work. For you were working a greater work than any man could see. And in the midst of a trial, you were bringing about triumph. You were planning a church. And God, we thank you. And God, we realize that we go through some storms and we go through some suffering and some trials. And God, I pray that we would not lose sight of the fact that you all along are working. Lord, I pray you would speak to us and through us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I reckon that the sufferings of this present time. I'm reminded of the story of the pearl. Now maybe you have a pearl necklace, some pearl earrings, and you, you cherish those things. But may I say to you, there would be no pearl without a pain. We realize that a pearl begins as an irritant grain of sand under the shell of an oyster. And it's not but through pain that a substance, nacre, begins to surround that grain of sand after layer after layer after layer until finally in a perfect round shape a pearl is formed. God is working and sometimes there's pain. And in that pain His presence comes and surrounds us and fills us and empowers us to even through our pain experience something truly remarkable. Adrian Rogers, the late great pastor, said it this way, Oh, I, I walked a mile with pleasure, and he chattered all the way, but I was none the wiser for all he had to say. But I walked a mile with sorrow, and narrow words said he, but all oh, the things he taught me when sorrow walked with me. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4 and 17, Paul says, For my light affliction is working, so that God might produce a greater glory for himself. I want us to think about this morning two specific things from our text. Number one, we see our earnest expectation. And number two, his absolute affirmation. But we begin with verse number 19. The Bible says, for the earnest expectation, if you write in your Bible, you might circle that little phrase, the earnest expectation of the creature, that's us, waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. We have an expectation and then God manifests himself. The Bible continues to say in these next few verses, it gives a picture of the process of God at work. For the creature was made subject to vanity, in other words, failure, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected by the same who are in hope, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and travails in pain to get together until now. It's literally a picture of a woman giving birth that there's a labor and there's pains and there's suffering and there's a process to bring forth this new life. And so is it when God's at work. And not only they but ourselves also which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves waiting for the adoption to wit to the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen, it is not hope. For what a man seeth, why does he hope for it yet? But if we hope for that which, which we see not, then do we have patience as we wait for it. Likewise, you ever been in a point that you didn't know how to pray or what to pray for? Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But listen, the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us 
with groanings which cannot be uttered. Like me needing an interpreter to speak Romanian, the Holy Spirit interprets our groaning to the ears of our Father in heaven. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And here's the second bookend of this text, and you know this verse. For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. So let's look first at verse number 19, and then at verse number 28, and I pray God would speak to you this morning. Number one, our earnest expectation. What is it that we're expecting from God? If I ask you this morning, what are you wanting to get out of your Christian life? You might say, I want to get to heaven. I want to get to a peaceful life. I want to get to a place of blessing. I want to get to a place of favor. I want to get to a place of comfort and of rest. Well, friend, Jesus never invited anybody to pull up a lazy boy and have a seat. He invited us to take up our cross and follow him. So we need to realize that what we're desiring from God, we better be ready for. We better be prepared for. We better be ready for whatever might come. You ever had anybody offer and say, hey, if you need any help, let me know. But they really don't mean it. What they mean is, I hope you can figure out how to do it by yourself. Don't call me. Do we say, God, I want to be in your will? Well, what if his will requires some suffering? God, I want to be used by you. Well, what if it causes us to, to face a trial or some tribulation in our life? Think about this. Our earnest expectation should be to bring him glory, honor, and praise. Many of us were able to walk a dear friend over the last year of his life dealing with cancer and watching him die and watching his testimony reach scores of people that my message was not reaching, that our singing was not reaching, but his journey to death reached many, many people. I mentioned November the 1st, our next family night. I want you to come and, and meet a, a gentleman named John Boyette and hear his story about how the church reached him and the testimony of a man dying reached him. This man, before he died, said it's been worth it all. It's been worth it all. The fact of the matter is God may allow us to go through some things and it may not be a physical disease. It, it may not be a, a tragedy. It may just be a time of, 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 of literally allowing us to come under a deliberate attack. If you were to flip on your television today and say, I'm just going to watch me some good old TV preaching, you might find some good. There are some good TV preachers, but you might find some that tell you if you'll get saved and join the church, I mean, everything's going to be good. Every day's going to be like Friday. You're never going to have a want. You're never going to have a pain. You're never going to have a problem. And I hear that and I want to say, well, tell that to old Job who was sifted by the enemy. I want to ask you this morning, are you truly willing to step out in faith and say, God, I want you to use me. I want my life to bring you glory. At the end of the day, it's not about me, but it's all about you. Let me give you a couple of things as we expect from God. Number one, there must be a wanting from God. God, I desire more. I, I like to look at the want ads in the biblical recorder. For a number of reasons. It's always interesting to see what churches are without pastors and to kind of see what they're looking for. And very seldom do you see a church looking for a pastor and it may read something like this. We want a pastor who's going to challenge us. More times than not, they want a pastor who's going to visit them. All about that. We want a pastor who's going to cause us to, to get out of our comfort zone. Seldom will you read that. 
But the fact of the matter is that that is a shepherd's goal. That is a shepherd's responsibility to stretch the sheep, to cause them to get out of those comfort zones, to literally put their life out there so that God may use us. Let me tell you something. You're never going to find any fruit till you get out on the limb. Let me tell you, you're never going to contribute to the team so long as your hiney's on the bench. Amen? Does that make sense? I mean, think about that. I want, God, I want something from you. God, my heart's desire is to bring you glory. God, I want to be in the game. God, I want to be out on the limb. God, I want to be out of my comfort zone. So there's a warning from God. May I ask you this morning, do you truly want something from God? He's okay with that. I'm not just talking about wanting physical possessions and, and, and wanting emotional stability and, and wanting a, a better life. Listen, when Jesus invited people to follow him, he said, listen, foxes have holes, birds have nests, you might not even have a home. He said, listen, you know, you, you, you can stay at your mom and daddy's house and they'll feed you, but if you're going to leave me, we might go hungry a day or two. There's got to be a warning from God. Tabitha was telling us on the way here that her church has started a new tradition. Her brothers involved, two young men, leave their village and get on their bicycles and ride to other villages and tell people about Jesus and, and invite people to church. I said that sounds like the, you know, sort of the Mormon church here in America, but they're out. And literally, I want to tell you, if you've ever ridden a bike in Moldova, it's a tough place to ride a bike. They're getting out there. But I wonder how comfortable we've gotten. Do we want something special from God? That we can do for him, not what he can do for us. Number two, there's got to be a waiting on God. Let me tell you, when we're serving God, there's always going to be a measure of patience. There's got to be a place that we say, Lord, I, I want to work in your timing and I want to work at your pace. God, I, I want to be out there, but I want to be right where you would have me to be, not ahead of you, not behind me. There's a waiting on God. And then thirdly, there is a watching for God. Sometimes God is work all around us and yet we refuse to see what he's doing. If you want to know the mind of God, look for the hand of God. If you want to know the will of God, look for where he is at work. Kingdom work. The Bible says in this chapter, uh, chapter 8, verse number 6, for to be carnally minded is death and to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And this certainly is a verse for the church. He's writing to the church at Rome. We have a choice, beloved, and I want you to hear this. We have a choice to be spiritually minded or carnally minded. If I were to ask you today, what are the top needs of our church? If we're not careful, we'll begin quoting physical needs. We need this and we need that and we need this. But we need to realize that our ultimate need are spiritual things. We need people to be deeper in their faith and more committed to their walk with the Lord. We need to be people of fasting and prayer. I'm excited about our upcoming revival that will take place toward the end of November. And I'm praying that you'll be here and that you'll support this revival. But don't wait to that day to say, oh, we're going to have revival. I nearly forgot. But I mean, get ready. Let's pray. Let's prepare. And let's beg God. God, we want to see your hand at work in this revival. Some of you have been through the experience in God study. Henry Blackaby, uh, probably the most famous Bible study of the last uh, 50 years. And there are two major points to the experience in God's study that has resonated with so many people. Number one, God identifies where he's at work. Say that with me. God identifies where he's at work. In other words, he doesn't want to play games with us. He doesn't want to play hide and seek or some kind of mystery game. You've seen the game where they, 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 they put a little acorn or something under these little cups and they move them around and try to figure out if you... Listen, God doesn't play games. He wants us to know where he's at work and he makes it so very evident, so very clear. Look at where he's at work. He works in different ways and mysterious ways. I'm grateful that God's working in the heart of this church, that we're a mission-minded church. 
I do not mean this to be derogatory toward anyone. But I go to meetings and I, and I see write-ups and they'll say, list your church accomplishments for the year such and such. And church after church lists their accomplishments, things like this. We put new windows in at the parsonage. We paved our parking lot. We, we planted you know, uh, this or we, we, we painted this or we put a new roof on it. I'm going, do what? You know, come on now. What kind of spiritual accomplishments? What's God doing in your church? But if we're not careful, we get this idea that everything is about what we can see and we don't acknowledge the invisible hand of God that's working. Listen, I'm grateful for a church that has a mission mind and a mission heart. I'm thankful for our youth and our children and there's so much there that we are in need of and we need to do a better job. We need to be more faithful in that as a church. But look at where God is at work. God identifies where His hand is working. Number two, not only does God identify, but God invites us to join him. Say that with me. God invites us to join him. God says, listen, don't don't just look for when I'm at work, but you join me. Get involved here. Be a part of that. Every week we look at the bulletin and we see things going on in the life of the church and and we make the choice, am I going to get involved or am I going to stand back? Let me just go ahead and say, most people that stand back and say, you know, I don't think I'm going to get involved. If you, After a time they become very critical and very cynical about those that are involved and in what God is doing. Begin to find fault in that. My favorite, I, I've heard it all in my ministry. You know, well, I don't know why we've got to go across the world to, uh, to do mission work. We've got people right here we need to be reaching. Amen. Let's get going to doors and knocking and inviting people, you know. There's work to be done here. But the fact of the matter is that we need to get involved, that we need to join God where He's at work. Be fervent in that. Be faithful in that. I don't just want to be a witness of what's going on. I want to get involved. To this day, I'm 43 years old. I don't like going and watching sporting events. It literally drives me crazy because I want to be in the game I mean I want to put on a jersey and go out there and show them how it's done I want to go kick a goal I want to go hit a ball I mean I want in the game may I ask you today God would invite you to join him would you be willing to I've had so many people stand on street corners in New York City with me and say something like this I never thought I'd ever come to New York City. I never thought I could love this place. Other people that have gone overseas and different things, I never thought, I never thought. I'm thinking, aren't you glad you got involved? Listen, wherever it is that God's leading you, join Him in His work. If God isn't leading you to go across the nation or across the world, we've got a lot of work to do right here in the barn. I encourage you to get involved. Come help raise our young people. Come help teach them, mentor them. Uh, come help serve. Number two, we see his earnest, or our earnest expectation in the first portion of this passage. And then in between we see that picture of how God's working behind the scenes, of how God's doing so many things. But I want to give you something else this morning to take with you, and that is his absolute affirmation. And that is as he's working in the, in, in, the, in the big picture, as his hand, invisible as it is, is also invincible and it is working, there is an affirmation that is absolute and you and I need to get a hold of it. Verse 28, and we know, and we know. There is a certainty to celebrate. There is a certainty that we need to, to allow to possess our thoughts and our hearts and, and everything about us. God, we know, God, we have confidence in this, that all things, all things are working together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. 
Have you ever cooked something that you followed a recipe? I'm not big on that. I, I'd put something between two pieces of bread and put it in the microwave and call it cooking. But many of you do. You get your, your cookbook down and you, I, you know the best kind of cookbook? It's one when you open the pages and there's like flour all over and you can't hardly see the words. That's a good cookbook. It's been used. But you begin to add the ingredients. Well, I want to tell you, you don't judge the dish until it's done. You don't examine each of the ingredients one by one. I've never known anybody that says, boy, I just would love to have me a, a spoonful of vanilla extract. Or man, I'd just like a handful of parsley or sage or, or nutmeg. No. Because those are the ingredients that are going into the recipe. And the fact of the matter is when, when Paul says here all things are working together, there are things that come into our life that are not palatable. They're not pleasing. They're not inviting. They're not something that we're wanting to go through, not something that we're wanting to endure. But the fact of the matter is that it's all part of the master's recipe for what he's up to. And we cannot judge the, you know, the dish midstream. We can't, you know, as we got it there in the mixing bowl, stick our finger in and taste it and say, oh, it's awful, it's awful. It ain't done yet. It's not completed yet. In fact, it's going to have to have a meshing together. Notice what the Bible says. All things are working together. My grandmother, I don't think, had a, an egg beater or one of those blenders or anything. She just mixed everything up with her hands. Anybody else ever had a grandma like that? You know, cornbread, just get in there and just mix it up with hands because that way she knew when it was exactly right. Knew when everything was mushed together just at the right consistency, right? Making y'all hungry. The fact of the matter is it's all together and all of the ingredients are coming together and it's the same with our life every individual day and every individual circumstance in and of itself can be very bitter very harsh but when we realize that there's something going on that the invisible hand of God is, is, is literally uh, meshing it all together and he's working to do something truly amazing fact of the matter is too almost with every recipe there's got to be some extreme heat added before it's complete we're going to have to go through some difficulty. Listen, I want to tell you, life's not easy. Serving the Lord is going to have its good days, but it's also going to have its difficult days. The Bible says anyone who wants to live godly in Christ Jesus better expect persecution, better expect some hard times. So when we go through those hard times, don't panic. Just realize He's working it out. He's kneading it together. His hands are in the midst of this. There's a certainty to celebrate. There's a calling to commit to also in this, in this verse. It says that these things are working together for good to those that love God. That's our calling. God, I'm going to love you. Not just on the good days, but in the bad days. God, not just when things are going my way, but when things are coming against me. When the world has fallen down around me, when everyone seems to have turned on me. God, I'm going to love you even in those days. Why? Because I know you're still at work and you're still on your throne. Thirdly, there's also a purpose to pursue. Last part of the verse. Things are working together for good to those that love God and to those who are the called according to His purpose. There's a purpose to pursue. God, it's not about me. God, it's not about what I want or my desire or, or, or my life. But God, it's all about you. And if my life must be sacrificed, if my life must be surrendered, then God, I'm all in. I'm going to be preaching in November to a group of pastors at our state convention and when you read statistics that 9 out of 10 pastors will leave the ministry and not retire, they'll just walk away. You wonder what happens, and I am one of them, so I understand the temptation at times to think, man, there's got to be something else. There's got to be an easier way to live or an easier way to do ministry. 
The fact of the matter is, no matter what I do in this place this morning, probably half the folks are going to go home and not at all satisfied. That's just life. But I have to get to the point that every day I look in the mirror and say, it's not about you. It's not about your desires and your comfort. It's not about your life. For my life has been surrendered. Your life as a Christian has been surrendered. The Bible says we've been bought with a price. We're no longer our own. If you look upon the title of your life and my life, we're not the owner. We belong to Him. And our purpose that we're pursuing is to bring Him glory and to fulfill His perfect will. Now, how do we do that? Well, to realize that not only is God at work around us, but God is at work within us. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16, Paul says, Oh, to God that we would be strengthened by power in the inner man. Now, think about that. The inner man that God could cause us to be strengthened within us. I think about how many times you read in scriptures where the children of God went through a trial, yet they did so with confidence in knowing that God was with them. I love the story. Paul and Silas are out preaching on the streets of Philippi. I mean, revival breaks out. People are getting saved, committing their lives to the Lord. Demoniacs are being set free. Uh, literally, uh, you know, uh, witches and, and soothsayers and all these things are being released from bondage. It's an amazing picture. And all of a sudden, this woman gets saved. And she turns from her life of uh, fortune-telling, if you will. And those who were making money from her trade were not happy. So they made up some charges and had old Paul and Silas arrested. And they put them in the, in the very depths of the dungeon after beating them. And they've got stripes upon their body and, and open wounds upon their body. And they throw them down into the, to the dungeon, pitch black, the stench of sewer in the air, little rats crawling and nibbling on their toes. It's bad, y'all. And in the midst of that, Paul and Silas could have turned and said, God, why us? God, this isn't fair. God, you're being an unjust God. But instead, they looked at one another and they began singing and they began praising and they began glorifying God. In that moment, the earth began to shake and the ground began to quake and the bars of that prison fell off and every chain was loosed. The jailer sprang in, assumed that every prisoner was gone and he took up his, his, his sword and was going to kill himself. And Paul said, do thyself no harm. We're all here. Well, fast forward a little bit later. The jailer would take Paul and Silas out of the jail, take him to his own home, would sit down and begin bandaging up the wounds that he earlier had put upon them, began rubbing salve into those open wounds. It's an amazing picture. And Paul and Silas began witnessing and sharing about the God of heaven and about the Lord Jesus Christ. And the jailer repented and the jailer's wife repented and the jailer's kids got saved. And the next thing you know, the whole house was heaven bound, all because Paul and Silas were willing to be beaten. Willing to be thrown into a jail cell. There's a part of this story, and, and man, it, it, we don't have time to get into it. But Paul and Silas were accused of being foreigners and not Roman citizens. At any point, if Paul and Silas would have said, Stop, stop, you can't beat us. We're Roman citizens. They would have had it stopped and quit beating them. But old Paul and Silas looked over at one another and winked and said, God's working through this. It doesn't feel good. It's not something we asked for. It's not something we wanted. But God's working through this. Every scar was worth it. The beating was worth it. The prison was worth it. Because there was a soul that needed saving. A soul that needed saving. Beloved, I don't know what you might be going through in life or what you might go through in life. But God will never leave you nor forsake you. 
there are people in this room that if God would allow me to live 50 more years, I will never, ever, ever, ever forget the lessons that you've taught me when I've watched you walk with sorrow, when I've watched you walk through trials and the storms of life, hand in hand with the master of the sea. Father, help us to be like that. Father, help us to have a desire to accomplish your will, to glorify you, to find ourselves accomplishing your purpose in our lives. God, help us not to be self-centered, conceited, or think that this whole thing of faith is about us. God, I pray that we would have a desire, an expectation of what you would do through us. And God, I thank you that even in the midst of trial, we know that you're there. Even in the midst of storm, you're there. Even in the midst of our hearts breaking, you're there. So God, I praise you that we can have confidence, as did Paul, to say, and we know, and we know that all things are working together for good. Your purpose, for good, to those that love you and are called according to your purpose. Help us never to forget and never to underestimate the invisible hand of Almighty God. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand your feet all